eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're your staff writers for Swamp 24-7. Blake, another weekend, another game in the books. Uh, First off, I apologize to everybody for not putting out a preview podcast on Thursday. Uh, I've been feeling a little bit under the weather the last couple days, so finally starting to turn the corner. Uh, But we're back today. Blake, let's break down this Florida-Tennessee game. You know, obviously one of the, I guess, closer games when you look up on the scoreboard, 31-19. to Really kind of felt like Florida kind of puttered around a little bit in the second half. Definitely not the cleanest game offensively. I want to ask you, I guess, first off, uh, before we get into kind of more of like a, a buy or sell segment on a topic I think is going to interest some fans, what were your key takeaways from this game? You know, I thought it was another, I, I guess, I mean, it's hard to say ho-hum performance when you look at what Kyle Trask put up on the stat line, obviously throwing the ball a lot. I think it was kind of what we expected at this point. Florida started off maybe a little bit slower, obviously pulled away, continue to pull away. I think the defense continues to show, I mean, it, it, they continue just to kind of show the same things that we see each and every week. You know, there's obviously some deficiencies there. They come out in the second half and they play a lot better. I still really like what you see from the front seven. I think the defensive line continues to make a lot of pressure, uh, makes it tough for opposing quarterbacks, but you know, overall, you know, Florida continues to stay hot on offense. Kyle Trask continues to stay hot for touchdowns. Um, you know, kind of what we expected Tennessee, I mean, man, those guys at this point, this isn't the point in the season where you really want to be shopping around quarterbacks like they are, but they're definitely, they're definitely going through it there. Yeah, Jeremy Pruitt, certainly uh, not having a fun go of it, I would say, at this point. But uh, I, guess, I guess kind of the way it feels to me right now from, from trying to sense the Florida fan base is it feels like Florida went into this four-game stretch that we talked about to close the season after that Georgia game, really thinking that – they should win these games pretty easily. And I think right now the sense that I get from the fan base is just general frustration that it seems like despite the fact that they're playing some inferior opponents, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee, obviously, it seems like you're not seeing, I guess, quite as much improvement as fans would want. I guess, does it feel like the clock is kind of running out? Is that, is that kind of the general reason for some disappointment from the fans over the last couple of weeks? Uh, you know, I think at this point, Fans just want to see that Florida-Bama game. They want to see that SEC championship game. I think a lot of the spectrum that you look at the team on is, can they beat Bama? Can they do this and beat Bama? Um, I, I think that those – and, you know, sure, there's some fair questions there because I, I think that obviously the end goal has been to get the SEC championship game. Florida has been favored in a lot of these last couple games of their season. So I think for the most part, it's hard not to look ahead towards Alabama. Um, 
Florida fans want to win the SEC championship, man. They want to take that next step. They want to start playing for national championships. So I think a lot of the spectrum of where you look at the team, I don't know. I have a question to, I guess, turn back to you. Is Florida that team that is the elite team that can take that jump against Alabama or just they a really good team? And I think most people would think that they're a really good team. I think the chance to jump to that elite team to get that kind of talk is to beat a, a team like Alabama. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt you have to go out and do it to be in that, that upper tier, that upper echelon. But I do wonder, you know, I, it's just tricky. Like, should, I guess the, the real question is, should Florida fans be panicking at this point? And I think that's a valid question when you talk about some of the defensive breakdowns that we've continued to see. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, you know, come out in press conferences and say, hey, there's a couple things we need to clean up. And then you turn around the next week and you have a lot of the same issues. And, and Blake, now we're even starting to see some new issues and we'll get to this in a little bit, but I was one that I actually criticized Desmond Howard on ESPN's college game day a few weeks ago when he said that Florida doesn't have a run game. And to me at the time, I disagreed with that because I thought when you looked at Florida's numbers in terms of efficiency in the run game, they had been pretty efficient, but they just hadn't decided to run the ball very much. Well, over the last couple of weeks, I think you're starting to see some of that efficiency erode a little bit. And I don't know if it's because the offensive line's banged up or this or that. We'll get to that a little bit later. I want to do kind of a buy-sell segment with you in, in terms of, I guess, Dan Mullen's answer to that question, whether or not it's a problem. Um, but I guess, you know, bigger picture-wise, I, I think to me what's happening is you're seeing the window shrink between, you know, when Florida was in the driver's seat with that SEC East, when they beat Georgia – you had a, a long period of time before that Alabama game where you were going to be able to try to work out some kinks. And I think particularly with this Tennessee game, you could almost make the argument that it was even sloppier than the previous two weeks. And I think you're just not, I don't think you're seeing a whole lot of signs from Florida of enough progression to go into that Alabama game, feeling like you're going to be pretty confident. Right. And that's not to say Florida can't win. And we've talked about this on the podcast quite a bit over the last two, three weeks, it's not to say Florida can't win in any you know, given game, that, that the game couldn't unfold the way Florida wants, but you have legitimate questions, and I think fans are continuing to see these questions not quite answered the way they want to be answered from a week-to-week basis when you talk about the defensive personnel, that kind of thing. Now, in, in defense of the defense, particularly the secondary, they were pretty banged up there Saturday. John Davis was out. Rashad Torrance was, was – uh, I believe he was out. Uh, with an injury. Both of those guys may not be back this week against LSU. So we'll have to see. So there, there is a little bit of that. Um, but I think, I don't know, Blake, I, I guess my question is, are, are they improving fast enough? You know, I, I think to some extent you go out and you look at Florida and you think that the improvements are there. Uh, you know, I last season, man, I felt like every podcast we come on here, I was like, man, the offensive line just isn't good. They're not getting any better, this, that, and the other. This year I've been a lot higher on them. I thought that they played a lot better. I think, sure, there's some deficiencies, but I think that Overall, you know, you look at the Alabama, or not the Alabama game, excuse me, the Georgia game. I thought Florida's offensive line played really well. You look at some of those younger guys that were getting some reps and they were also playing, you know, close to, if not good, you know, I mean, there's wasn't a gigantic drop off, I guess more so is what I'm saying, but man, the offensive line, they just really struggled this, this past weekend against Tennessee. And I think where you, you just don't see the consistency there, you know, sure. It's always harder to play on the road. Um, you know, Jeremy Pruitt obviously is a defensive minded coach. There could be some things there, but just, I don't know. I, I see the video of, you know, Delance, not even out of his snap, you know, three, four seconds after the ball has been snapped. You know, those are just kind of the things that where you look at it and you're like, man, it's just not consistent enough. And I think that those kind of things is where I think those questions start to pick up and you, those concerns start to pick up. 
Well, let's talk about that because Dan Mullen, you know, that, that is clearly a focus of the fans right now, that right tackle spot in particular. Florida really doesn't have a whole lot of weaknesses offensively. I mean, obviously the run game, again, it gets back to that question of can they do it or do they just not need to because they're so good passing the ball. But Dan Mullen was asked pretty pointedly after the game on Saturday about that right tackle position in particular and, you know, the amount of pressures that John DeLance is giving up, you know, the, the inability of Florida to kind of run behind that right side at times. And he basically said, hey, we're trying to get our best five out there. He, he kind of hinted that maybe there have been some injuries, but frankly, he hasn't told us about any of that. I don't know if he's talking about, you know, earlier in the season with Ethan White, maybe they had hoped to have him further along and he's not. But I think you can make the case – and I think a lot of fans would, that you've seen enough out of Ethan White at this point in the season, you've seen enough out of Josh Braun to in some of these games where you're going to be a big favorite, you know, again, this week against LSU, another game where you're, you know, a double-digit favorite, significant double-digit favorite. Why not get those guys in and see if they can make the right side of that line look a little better? And, you know, Dan Mullen was a bit defensive on that. And then he was pressed a little bit about it more today, just, a, you know, a few minutes ago when we were talking to him at his Monday press conference on the run game and, and why, you know, they weren't really able to run the ball against Tennessee. And his, his case was basically, Hey, we didn't really try to run the ball against Tennessee. We only handed it off to the backs four or five times. We just, we just really Tennessee was giving us the passing game with a lot of one-on-ones outside. So we took it, I guess, Blake, let's, let's do a quick buy or sell segment for both you and me here. Do you buy or sell that? I guess, first off that us run game is not an issue. Buy or sell. Um, uh, that it's not an issue. Yeah. I'm taking that one. I think there is some issues. I think whenever you look at the the run game specifically, you know, just traditional running on the ground game, I think that there's some concerns there. I think where you look at some of those guys and, you know, the Georgia game where Florida used a lot of those guys and, you know, throwing wheel routes, you know, sure, there there are different ways where they use the running back position that they, they can capitalize on. But you just don't see – you just don't see things picking up from a run game perspective. So I, I think there's some concern there. Okay, now let me ask you this, because I, I agree with you there. And again, a couple weeks ago, I wouldn't have said that. I thought they were running the ball much more efficiently a few weeks ago. Right. This Tennessee game for me was concerning because, like you said, I thought the O-line took a step backwards. And I don't know whether that's purely personnel-driven, but they could not push Tennessee around. And, you know, Tennessee, okay, granted, they're a physical team, but if you're not able to push Tennessee around, you're probably not going to be able to push Bama around. And the question becomes, if Alabama's better in the secondary and can, can match up with you, one-on-one somewhat and slow your passing game down do you need that balance so I guess the question is now does Florida need that running game or do you think that they they are good enough as a passing team that they can get by even against Alabama you know I don't think you ever want to get one-dimensional so I think to some extent you're going to need the running game but when you look at what Florida has been able to I mean it's not like their running game has just been an elite you know complete week to week there you know they're elite each and every week I think I agree with you where you know they they did have some games where they were picking things up and you and you look like there was some promise there but I I mean I've for the most part it just hasn't really been there so I I don't know man I mean through the passing game they're really helpful because you know Naquan Wright I think is is probably Florida's best guy at at breaking tackles and getting through different things Damian Pierce can do his thing too Um, I, I don't know man I think the offensive line definitely has a factor in that some because, you know, getting that push, it, that's, what, what, that's where Florida struggles running the ball last year were, but those struggles are still picking back up. Yeah, I think it really boils down to me, can you match up man-to-man across the board against Alabama's defense? And I, I don't, frankly, know the answer to that. Obviously, Florida has a ton of weapons. And so, 
you know, can a guy cover Kyle Pitts one-on-one? I would say no to that, right? So already Florida's got a little bit of advantage in that Alabama somewhere or another has to decide how they want to defend Kyle Pitts, right? But if they take a guy off him, you're basically relying on somebody else, be it Trayvon Grimes, Kadarius Toney, you know, a back against a linebacker, winning some of those matchups. I think Florida can do that. You know, I, I'm not I, – I don't know. I, I tend to lean towards trusting Dan Mullen a little bit when he says Definitely. we're trying to run. Now, having said that, when they did try to run, they weren't running well. And I think that's what he's not saying. Um, and that, that's where you get the disconnect between fans and, and what Mullen is saying. Like, I, I do think he's right. I don't think they really tried to go out there and pound it against Tennessee. Having said that, the few times they did try to run it, they weren't very successful. So I think when you talk about that Alabama game, it really comes down to two things. One, you're going to have to win 50-50 matchups on the outside. And that's the same exact thing that we heard against a very talented Georgia secondary. Although obviously Georgia was playing without Richard LeCount, but you're going to have to win one-on-one matchups outside. And then you're going to need to stand up in the trenches. I mean, it's literally the same thing we said against a very good Georgia defense. And in that Georgia game, Florida was able to do that. And you know, obviously there were other factors in that game. You know, you didn't have to keep up with Georgia because Georgia's quarterbacks were terrible. That's obviously not going to be the case against Alabama. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting matchup. And I keep going back to, yes, the improvement from Florida is not good enough right now. And in an ideal world, Florida would be improving at a much faster pace, particularly against overmatched opponents. But at the same time, Dan Mullen knows how to work within an individual game. He's going to have a good game plan. He's admitted that they've already put together an advanced scouting staff that's been looking at Alabama for a couple of weeks now. So they're going to have plenty of notes, plenty of wrinkles that they can try to attack. It's going to really come down to execution in that game, and I think especially in the trenches. And that's where I understand completely some of the fan angst about why, why is John DeLance continuing to start on the right side? You know, why have we not tried to get Ethan Wyatt? Why have we not tried to get Josh Braun more involved? And from that standpoint, that's where I would probably be a little bit critical of Dan Mullen. Unless there are injuries we don't know about, I would really like to see more of those two guys. Yeah, but you have a good point. I mean, when Dan Mullen, you have him, I mean, he's the X factor. I mean, ultimately, I mean, you can put all the matchups you want together. He's going to have a good game plan, or you would seemingly think so, just because, I mean, that's what he's shown his entire career, whether that's at Mississippi State as a coordinator for Florida or even as the head coach of Florida. He always has a good idea. He always has a good game plan. It's just are those deficiencies that are continue to be glaring. Are they going to be too much to overcome? Um, you know, Kyle Trask, I mean, when you look at, you threw it almost 50 times, I think, against Tennessee or something like that effect. I mean, they definitely, if they want to go through the air, I, I mean, you have a Heisman quarterback, you know, a guy who's getting, you know, talk from, you know, if he's not the leading candidate, he's, you know, up there top two with Mac Jones. Um, I, I mean, you, you got to expect Florida's going to try to attack through the air. But, man, like, you, you just don't want to be one-dimensional. And I think that that's the thing that we're a team like Alabama, they can make you pay if you're getting one-dimensional. If their secondary can lock things up, kind of keep the top off, you know, at least try to control things that they can for Florida's offense and not let them run wild, I think it's going to be tough, man. I think you're going to want to have some kind of run game, whether that's the offensive line getting some push and opening up holes for the running backs, who I think are very capable. I think Florida has a really deep running back room. I think all those guys there can contribute in some way, um, whether that's to the passing game or the running game. But it starts up front for me, and I think the uh, I think that's just where my, my big questions are. Well, and the irony is today we're talking mostly about the Florida offense against the Alabama defense, and I think part of that is just we've spent so much time talking about Florida's defense and their issues that we're kind of tired of talking about them. You know, yeah. until, until they get different guys in there, it's hard to expect them to be a whole lot better. But I think the reason so many fans are probably nervous is because, you know, it is a legitimate question mark about who wins Florida's offense versus Alabama's defense. You know, obviously Florida's going to score some. I mean, sure. nobody's nobody's going to fully shut down Florida. I think the question mark is, can Florida score at a high enough rate to 
keep up with Alabama because you know Alabama is going to do the same against Florida's defense. I mean, they're right. Very up. much seems like it would be a boat race type of game, at least just kind of the outside looking in as we're, you know, a couple weeks away. It seems like a boat race type of game. Then you look at that A&M game. I mean, that was a boat race game too, and that didn't really go very well for Florida either. I think I go back to, and I mean, you've said it week to week, can Florida's defense make enough of those plays, you know, turn over here, stop there. They just need to make enough plays. And I think that that's what they didn't do against A&M. And that's what they would need to do. If it does get into that type of situation to where it is just back and forth, score, 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 that's what they're going to need to do. No doubt about it. Well, Blake, let's take a quick break. We actually have a backlog on the five-star review because we missed the Thursday episode of the podcast. What I want to do is try to hammer out all of these five-star mailbag questions that we've got in the second half of the show. We'll be right back guys. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're going to go ahead right on the second half of the show and just dive straight into our five-star review. For those of you that don't know what we do, this is a segment that we like to do every episode of the podcast. It really depends on how many reviews we get, but we ask you to drop a five-star review on iTunes on the podcast and leave us a question. And on the next episode of the show, we will get to those questions, as many of them as we can. Since we have a lot of them because we missed Thursday's edition of the podcast, we're going to go ahead and spend the entire second half of the show answering some of these questions. So without any further delay, uh, our first five-star review question from the home of the Brave is, to be honest, I don't see how UF wins against Alabama unless Kyle Trask and the offense play out of their minds. It's kind of what we've been talking about. Uh, who is covering Devontae Smith and John Mechie, not to mention tackling Najee Harris? Brad Stewart and Donovan Steyer don't belong on the same field with the Bama offensive players, not to mention Mr. Cushion Marco. Alabama is so efficient in everything they do offensively and defensively. They never have missed tackles. They can get to the QB without blitzing, and they hardly ever give up explosives. UF will have to score in the 40s to have a chance. So I agree with a lot of that. I guess um, there's not necessarily a particular question, but other than how do you cover Alabama's receivers? Blake, do you have any idea how to do that? Pray. <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing. You know, I, to me, I don't think it's going to happen man-to-man in the secondary. You know, even if Florida plays press at the line and plays physically, I just don't – we've seen enough from this secondary at this point to know that that's going to be a problem. And so, to me, the only way you counter that is you generate pressure on the quarterback. And Definitely. we've talked about it a lot. I think on both sides of the ball, Florida has to at least come push even in the trenches. And if they can't at least break even in the trenches, it's going to be a long day. But I do think when you look at Florida leading the league in sacks, you know, they do it a little bit unconventionally. There's no one superstar rusher like a Jonathan Grenard or a Jabari Zuniga, but they do find ways to push the pocket and get pressure. And we've seen that. And Alabama obviously is going to have a much better offensive line, 
But if you're talking about trying to slow down Devontae Smith and John Mechie and your solution is to, you know, man up Marco Wilson or Kyrie Elam on him, you know, Kyrie Elam's a good player, but even he's going to get beat from time to time. So I think the answer to me is you, you got to get after the quarterback. You got to generate pressure. Definitely. And that's where they have success at. I mean, if you look at the at Florida's defense from top to bottom, I mean, the defensive line is where they've had that best, that best success um, since, you know, a guy like Kyrie Campbell's come back. So, I mean, that's definitely the X factor there, but in the secondary man, it's going to be tough sledding. Yeah. And that's, and that, you know, honestly, that's why it's going to be so important. This is a game we always talk about when you play these big games, the margin for error gets really, really small. You know, we talked about it going into the Georgia game. You know, you have to at least hold your own in the trenches. You can't get overwhelmed or you have no chance because the other team is just too good. And Alabama is just too good. You can't make mistakes. You can't have drive killing penalties. You can't have turnovers. Uh, on the flip side, if you can force a turnover or two, you can get ahead and, and put the pressure on with your offense. But it's just one of those games where you have to play extremely cleanly. And you're probably going to have to get a little bit creative, not just on defense, but on offense, throwing some new wrinkles out there that Alabama's not going to be ready for. So, Blake, let's go to our next five-star mailbag question. This is from just a guy waiting on love. It's about potential returning players for 2021. Uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the impact players from this year who will certainly leave for the draft and who you think will come back. Mainly Cox, Carter, Campbell, Slayton on the D-line, and then Heggie and Forsyth on the O-line. Thinks it's obvious that Trask, Pitts, Tony, and Grimes will most likely leave. First off, I would agree, all four of those guys. I can't see any way that Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius, Tony, or Trey Grimes are back. Blake, I'll throw it over to you. Let's start with the D-line. Cox, Carter, Campbell, and Slayton. Any of those guys back? Uh, you know, I, I think Cox is a guy that, you know, I'm not in his head. I think that just how he has seemed to get a little bit of bigger piece of, a, of the pie every week, you know, he seems to have, a, you know, from starting out, I mean, he definitely showed his struggles when he's come a long way. That being said, I think he's a guy that should come back. I also kind of lean more towards a guy like Zachary Carter. I think he's played great this season at the strong side defense end spot. Whenever he's in that spot to where what they wanted him to do, I think he's been great. But, man, I, I don't know. He's just – from covering as a recruit, you know, he just has seemed like a guy that's very much big on the team, big on, you know, that kind of atmosphere that Dan Mullen has created. Regardless if Florida wins this game against Alabama, they're, they're a shoe-in for a big-time bowl game. I think that the team that – the, the atmosphere that Mullen has created. I think that Carter is one of those guys that he could convince, you know, obviously I don't think he's going to force his hand. I mean, if, if Carter wants to go to the league, then I mean, I, I think that's just what any coach would do. But I think Carter just being one of those guys that has always been very much about the team. I think he's one that could be convinced of coming back. Slate and I'd lean more towards, I think he's going to leave Kyrie Campbell. Honestly, man, I'm not totally sure. I, I guess I, if I had to pick, you put a gun to my head and said to pick, I think he would probably head more towards the league. Um, but I think that for the most part, I think I could make an argument that all those guys should come back for Florida. I think where you look at Slayton, I think he's probably the one that I would lean more towards is being most confident. I think it would probably be him. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Slayton pretty, pretty good chance that he's gone. And I think Kyrie Campbell pretty much in the same boat. I, I do think of the, the two end guys, I think Zachary Carter is much more NFL ready. I do too. From, from that standpoint, if he gets a good, you know, second, second round grade, third round grade, I think he's gone. And I think that grade really is really the depending factor here. If it's not what he's wanting, I think he's one that would come back. I think he's one, like I said, he's just all about that team and, you know, what they're building and whatnot. I mean, it's just hard for anyone at this point to turn down any kind of grade that's favorable though. Right. And then I think with Brenton Cox, he's going to be the really interesting one because obviously he's the guy that came in as a five-star prospect and I think he was one that expected heading in the season to be a one and done. Right. And I think you're absolutely right on that. And the difference is Florida's coaches from day one have said they're still working on a lot of things with him, fundamentals, technique, you know, as good as he's been 
being a disruptor and as quick as he is off the edge, he's not always great setting the run, not always the most disciplined setting the run. And I, I would compare him a lot to a Ja'Kai Polite. You know, I see a lot of similarities there in the way that Florida's coaches have talked about him in the, the type of play that we've seen in terms of being disciplined every down on the edge. And I think he's a guy that if Florida's coaches are able to sit him down and show him, hey, here's what you do really well. Here's what Ja'Kai Polite did really well. You know, he was talked about as a potential first-round guy initially. He thought that. We didn't think so. And here's why we didn't think so, you know, because here's this play where he doesn't set the edge very well. Here's another play where he didn't set the edge very well. If they can do that in such a way that he says, oh, okay, another year, if I can get that down, then I'm a really high-level pick, and he buys into that, I think he's back. But I don't know. I think that is going to be a legitimate conversation. So he's the one that I would not be sure on in terms of, you know, what we think he should do versus what he may do. Exactly. I mean, that, that's totally the, the question there is he could think something totally different than what the coaches think, what we think and all that. So um, it's a good, it's a really good question. Asked, though. I'm, I'm glad he asked it. Well, what about, uh, what about the two O linemen you mentioned, Brett Heggie and Stone Forsyth? Both of those guys are fifth year guys already. Yeah. I mean, with it being a free year and they can come back, I think I could make an argument about that. You know, could they stay? Could they go? I don't know if those guys are going to be high level draft picks, but the fact that they've just been in the program for so long, I think that Heggie is one that has shown enough to where I, I feel pretty good that he could be a guy that's going to get drafted or make a team in some capacity. I think stone Forsyth could as well, just because of the sheer size he has, I think he's got that big frame that a lot of teams could be interested in. If they had a choice, I think again, it would just come down to what their, what their grade is. And if that's good enough for them to go, or if it's good enough, you know, for them to come back, I would think that those guys, just off of my own personal opinion, that has nothing to do with what they would want to do. I think they should come back. That's just my own personal opinion. Um, you know, I don't know that if I think that they're guys that could continue to have a better year, just because you look at what Stone Forsyth did from last year to this year. I think he's a night and day type of player. I think he's really improved in a lot of areas. Could another year improve his draft stock? Absolutely. Could the same thing be said for Heggie? Absolutely. But they've just been in the program for a long time. So I mean, at some point, man, you got to grow up. You got to graduate. Yeah, no, I, I kind of lean towards fifth-year guys, guys that are veterans. You know, we talked about how well Stone Forsyth was playing a couple weeks ago. I think he's gone. I, I uh, think so, too. I think just that, that size, man, it's really interesting for a lot of teams. He, I think he's played his way into at least a mid-round pick at this point, you know, a third, fourth-round type guy. I don't know quite as much on Heggie. I do know that his versatility is going to help him a lot. I think the sure. big thing with Heggie is going to be injury concerns. Right. You know, he's had that risk that's definitely going to get looked at by the medical guys. Um, I, he's had a couple other minor – injuries you know knee type stuff I think uh, and that's just over the course of his entire career too I mean it's and that's another factor that you you probably consider if you're thinking about jumping to the NFL is hey you know I do have you know some wear on my tires let's get in get a couple years in the league and see what we can do so yeah I don't I don't know I don't necessarily know that I believe that there's going to be a bunch of guys that especially fifth year guys that take advantage of the quote-unquote the free year you know the only types I can think of that would maybe like do that would be a guy like Rick Wells who maybe comes on late in the year and decides, Hey, I can be featured now that Kyle Pitts, you know, Trayvon Grimes, Kadarius, Tony, are going to be gone. But to be honest, I just don't see it being, I don't see it being this overwhelming wave where teams have like 20 seniors coming back. I just, I don't see it. I think guys are ready to to get on with their lives and and especially those, those fifth year guys, man. I just, I don't see a whole lot of those guys sticking around. I would agree. All right. Let's get to the next question on the podcast. This is a, a different Different topic from Jones Brett 45 questions on the 2021 season. Do you think Emory Jones could end up being Florida's leading rusher by the end of the 2021 season? I'll, I'll ask that as a yes or no question. Uh, no. Okay. Who's going to be the leading rusher? 
I would say one of the running backs. I don't know how, you know, off the top of my head. Um, eh. You know, actually, now that I think of it, when you look at the deficiencies for the offensive line, if they continue, I could see Emery being the leading rusher just because he can do things with his, you know, with his legs through the passing game. I'm sure there's going to be a little bit more running design. You're going to see things change with just the fact that he's really electric with his legs too. Yeah, I, I think I could see it just because you look at the struggles for Florida's running back room now on the ground. I don't know that I see anything that jumps out and, and you know, just tells me that the Florida's offensive line is going to, you know, turn into this big road grading unit. You know, sure, you know, they You're continue to get better. Right, that's the oh, thing, likely. too. You're going to lose some veterans. They're going to be younger. I just don't know they're going to continue to have that jump to where what, what people are expecting for the running back group. So I guess now when I think about it and just don't, you know, just jump off with this, you know, the seat of my pants, I think I could see it, yeah, just because of what he can do differently. He can make a run. You're going to see design runs where he's going to be the guy that's there, or you can see him, you know, do some scrambling with his legs, too. So I, I think, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I can see it, too. Um, I think – one thing that is going to be different, I think that obviously Florida, we expect them to craft the offense around Emory Jones. It's going to be a very different looking offense, I think, than what we're seeing this year with Kyle Trask. But I think one thing that always stands out to me is, you know, Florida has run this, this running back rotation of like three different guys right now. Very true. I think when you have a, a running quarterback under Dan Mullen, if you look back, typically his running back rotation tends to shrink. And I think part of the reason is that zone read really hits a certain way when you have two guys that mesh well. And I think, you know, whether that's Damian Pierce, whether that's Malik Davis, I expect, you know, both of those guys to be in the next Naquan Wright. We really love what he's been able to do. You're going to find that certain plays in that zone read hit better with Emery with one of those backs. So I do think you're going to, you're going to likely see, you know, one of the backs emerge as kind of the lead workhorse, so to speak, more so than this year. But I do think, I mean, Emery, I've talked about it in the past, I think, his ability to run the football is really surprising given his stature. I mean, he gets upfield quick and he he's one of those players that has the ability to get really small through a window. You know, you always talk about running in a phone booth. He's a guy that you don't think there's a hole there. And then all of a sudden, not only is he through the hole that wasn't there, but he's 10 yards up the field before you know it. So, you know, I don't know. I I think if he's going to be the leading rusher, it's going to be in like the 600, 700 yard range. I don't, I don't envision something where he runs wild like a Nick, Nick Fitzgerald and you're talking like 1,200 something yards. I just don't, I don't see that. I think there's still too many weapons. You talk about, you know, the tight ends that are going to replace Kyle Pitts, some of these receivers that have come along. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a very different offense and it's going to be kind of fun to watch. Yeah, when I thought about it, you know, at first I'm like, oh, you know, you, they're going to probably do some of that off tackle run where he can keep it or he can run it. But just the fact that they've used a running back committee, I think you make a good point where that does shrink, you know, but it's just hard to pick anybody else past that just because I think that the scrambling and his ability to run and, and make plays, I just think that's going to be too much. So I think I would agree. I think he's going to be the guy that's going to be the leading rusher. Okay. Let's get through these last few quickly. Cause we're, we're going a little bit long here. Uh, what are your expectations for the Gator defense in 2021, both from a personnel and coaching perspective? I mean, it, personnel would depend on if Todd Grantham's there, if they change something different and they move things around. I think that's obviously the kind of the, where that I guess not so black and white. It's more of a gray answer there. Um, but for the most part, you know, it just kind of depends on the secondary. You know, if some of those guys come back, if they're not there, if they're going to start putting those younger guys in. Youth movement. I think that the youth is where – I think that that's where you're going to see more improvement there. So I think that really hinges on that. Yeah, I think you're going to get a lot better in the back end. I, I just think personnel-wise you're going to be a lot better as guys like Trevez Johnson and Rashad Torrance get more run in the secondary. Tyron Hopper at linebacker. I think there's yeah. plenty of guys that you can make. You're going to be more, I think you'll be more athletic for sure. 
I think the question mark for me is how quickly do those young defensive linemen come along? You know, Jervon Dexter's done a good job so far, but you're going to be counting on guys like him next year to be disruptive starters. I mean, because I, we talked about the D line a little bit earlier in one of the other questions, you're going to lose a, a good bit of veteran leadership. There some guys that are very physically stout. That's going to be the question mark for me. Can those guys develop physically enough? But I do think you're going to see kind of a faster, more athletic defense next year. Right, and I think a lot of the big factors there is just getting some of those defensive linemen to come back. If you can get a Brenton Cox to come back, or if he stays, or if you can get a Zachary Carter to stay, I think that those things can really change the answer there too. But, I mean, it's, it, if those guys are gone, Florida's going to have some problems there with just the fact of the sheer amount of youth they're going to have to play on the, in, at that interior part of the line or even at defensive end. All right, next question. Five-star question from Cody Bouchard. His question is a scenario, and this will be interesting. All right, so the scenario is number six, Florida, beats number one, Alabama. Number three, Clemson, beats undefeated number two, Notre Dame. And number five, Ohio State wins out. Who's in? He says number five. Ohio State's number four right now. Uh, I've, you got to run the scenario through me right, again. So Sorry. Florida beats Alabama. Is Florida right. Florida in? Florida's definitely in, right? Right, definitely. Okay. Clemson beats Notre Dame. Clemson's in. Clemson's in. Is Notre Dame in? Mm, probably not. I would think that they would either – I think they have a chance to either be four or they would be right outside at five. Okay. So, and then we're, we're, we would assume Ohio State's in if they went out. Right. So, Ohio State's winning out. But where do you have A&M? That's the question. So, so I guess the, the question for me would boil down to Notre Dame versus A&M. I think that's Notre Dame for me. I think it's Notre Dame just because the fact that if it, it depends if it's a close game, you know, if it's another overtime type game. But I mean, it's hard whenever you have. Man, that's that's a that's a really tough one for me to like. Uh, here, here, yeah, here, here's the, the fact that A and M lost so bad to Alabama. I think that's is part of it. That for me, I think that that is where I I think I would have probably have to, if I had to pick there. I think I'd probably have to take Notre Dame there just because that it was just such yeah. a lopsided loss. That's part of it to me. And then the other part is Notre Dame, right or wrong, how the divisions are set up, all that, Notre Dame put itself in position to play for a championship game. And I know the, the, the argument from Texas A&M would be, okay, but they lost that championship game. Still, to me, they put themselves to be on the national spotlight in a championship game. Like you said, as long as right. it's not a blowout, I've got to go Notre Dame. I think. Losing in a championship game or losing in a re- regular season game, I think are two different things to me. And I think now, I guess, the I guess- score – the score is what makes it a little more interesting because, I mean, if, if Clemson just comes out and just drags Notre Dame with Trevor Lawrence, they didn't have him in that first game. I mean, if they come out and just beat the crap out of, out of Notre Dame. Well, I guess Dame, the other question would I be, think that's the thing. One loss Alabama, though. I mean, that, they could very well get consideration, too. So that, that fourth spot is definitely interesting. Definitely interesting. I, I don't know. Now, now I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, ah, number one Alabama loses in the conference title game. They're not going to get left out, right? Like. I don't know, man. I think so. Depends. I, I mean, it, I guess it would depend again. Like, I mean, does the, Florida the come funny out thing is that's a, anything? it's a pretty realistic scenario that Florida wins and, and Clemson wins. I mean, that's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. So not at all. It'll be interesting. To, it'll be interesting. I think, I do think Texas A&M gets left out in that scenario, but you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's a uh, Notre Dame, Alabama or Ohio state that would get that number four spot at that point. Definitely be interesting. I, you know, I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it's probably Alabama. Alabama gets in over, you'd have Florida, Clemson, Ohio state, in Alabama. But again, if Ohio State loses some games, it'll be it'll be fun to kind of watch break down. All right. Uh, I think we have one or two more quick questions. All right, we're going to skip that one. All right. When comparing Kyle Trask to Mac Jones for the Heisman, I kind of feel like Jones is the better QB, but Trask has better stats because of Florida's reliance on the passing game. Also, Bama's ability to run the ball takes away from Jones's passing numbers. Should the Heisman be given to the best player or the player with the best stats? I don't mean to take anything away from Kyle because he's having a 96, 01, 07 type of year. 
And as a Gator fan, I'd obviously love to see him win the Heisman. But Mac Jones is really good. What do you guys think? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts there because yeah. I think I think for me, it's I think Trask is still a really good player. I mean, I think regardless if the run game's there or not, I think it should go to the best player. I mean, with the best stats. I mean, I think that they're both really good players. It's not like one is bad and one is good. So I think if you look at that and, and you. I mean, I think stats matter for sure. Stats flip, and wins and losses. I flip it around to who's more important to their team, right? Sure. And I think when you look at Devontae Smith, you look at Mechie, you look at Najee There's plenty Harris, of guys that you would pick over Mac Jones. Alabama can win games without Mac Jones. Right. I'm not sure that Florida's in a position to contend for a championship. With not, not, I'm not even – I am sure. Florida's not in a position to contend no for a championship without Kyle Trask. So, and then, again, what we talked about on the first half of the show – You've got a running game that now is at least suspect. You know, maybe they can run it, maybe they can't. We don't know. But the fact that Florida hasn't even felt like they've needed to try to run it is a testament to how good Kyle Trask is. And I think you just look at the numbers. I mean, and it's not like defensive teams that Florida play. It's not like they're saying, oh, yeah, Florida's no way they're going to throw the ball this week. They know each and every week when you play Florida, You've they're going to throw the ball. And you still can't guys. stop it. Can't stop it. I, I just think uh, when I've watched college football and I've been covering this, you know, professionally for a decade now, um, watching it for a good deal longer than that. I, I have not seen a quarterback that is able to go through reads as well as Kyle Trask. And it's not always perfect. Obviously, last week wasn't one of his better games. And the crazy part is we say last week wasn't one of his better games. It 433 yards and four touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about. I mean, it, it's absurd. Like, just put that into context. And, yes, I know Mac Jones has been really good, throws a phenomenal deep ball, and has some absolute weapons. Um, you know, and maybe I'm underselling Florida's weapons compared to Alabama's. You know, maybe there's some bias there that, you know, we just – we look at Alabama in this ridiculous light. I mean, in fairness, Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony are two of the best weapons in the country too. So maybe I'm not being entirely fair there, but I just feel like when you look at it, I don't think Florida wins as many games – with any other quarterback as, you know, if Alabama plugged in a different guy. And, and me, I think that, that's a good way to look at it because I think that's totally right. I mean, if you, if you move Mac Jones out, I, I think the backup is freshman Bryce Young. Sure. Throwing a freshman in there, you're going to see some drop off. You would think so at least, but some of the time you've seen him out there. I mean, the guy has looked really good still. It's not like Alabama doesn't have an elite, the offensive line. They don't have big time playmakers right. around him. They don't have a guy like and Najee Harris. In the you back can cover, you can cover if you're Alabama, you can make up right. for the loss of Mac Jones. If you're Florida and Kyle Trask, you know, that, that offensive line isn't good enough to be elite at that level with another quarterback in there. And to me, that says everything about contrast as of right now, I'd take contrast. We're going to, the beauty of it was we'll get to see them play in Atlanta. I hope that if it's a close game and neither quarterback really decides the game one way or the other, that it doesn't just go to the winner just because they won the game. Right. Like I, I really hope it's, it is about the best player, um, but we'll see, man. I think, you know, I, I want to say I saw the odds flipped again to favor Mac Jones slightly so. this week. So it, I think it's going to be back and forth. A lot of it will come down to that SEC title game, right or wrong. That's just how the voters kind of look at it. But if it was, if you're asking me right now, I think Kyle Trask, you know, from what my understanding of what the Heisman is supposed to be, best player, most important. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm mixing in most important to the team. That's kind of how I've always viewed the Heisman. And I think Kyle Trask is, is that guy for me right now. I just think it's if it's a, also I think that that's a, t a good point. But I mean, the best player in college football is who the Heisman Trophy should go to. I think when you look at what Kyle Trask does from a week to week, you know, overall his body of work, I think he's looked like the best player out there. All right, guys. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of the podcast. We got to a lot of the five star mailbag questions. So next episode, we'll probably do really just one or two short questions. We'll have a lot more to talk about. Obviously, after Senior Day in the swamp, after LSU, we're going to have a ton to unpack with Alabama coming up in the SEC championship game. 
But, hey, it's just around the corner, man. We've waited for this all year. Florida got over the Georgia hump, and now we have an SEC championship game on track against Alabama. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Be sure to leave your five-star review on iTunes. Drop us a question for the five-star mailbag next segment, and we will answer it on the next episode of the podcast. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.